Say your name. Karen. Marie. Holman. <laughs> We're podcasting. <laughs> I'm breaking your podcasting cherry. <laughs> oh, great. So what do you want to talk about? Go ahead and start the conversation. No, that's not how it works. You're an instigator. No, that's not how it works. You just, you just start talking. It's a motorcycle podcast. Oh, well, I was going to say way back during conception. Conception? When I was, you know. Being conceived? <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to fix this microphone here. I think that microphone that you got is kind of shitty. I mean, I can hear you in it. Well, is it the microphone? No. Or is it your ears? What do you want to talk about? Well, I don't know too much about motorcycles, so that could be a problem. I can tell you that they look cool and they sound good. (laughs) Do you remember? uh, Okay, so let's. When did I get my. When did I. When did I buy my Harley? Do you remember? It was when we lived in Canton. Um, I don't know what year it was, though. You don't remember? Do you remember what year we opened the shop? Yep. No, you don't, do you? <laughs> I have no clue. Fifteen years ago. Um, almost. Almost fifteen years ago. The kids were little. I had a sweet minivan, Windstar. The <laughs> <a> spoiler. <laughs> I can tell you that. What do you... Okay, so... so I had windows. Let's do... Um, we'll do... Uh, we'll talk about... Um, Let's talk about when we started the shop. What do you remember about starting the shop? <laughs> Your cool garth. Huh? Your clothing. My clothing? What about my clothing? Well, let's look at pictures and reflect in our mind your, the visual representation of what you wore. That was really cool. What are you talking about? <laughs> your vests and your scarves and... <laughs> oh, your buttons? Are you clowning on me? What do they call those buttons? A flare? Your flare. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's funny. I remember the bandana you wore on your head for a while. Yeah, I thought I was pretty cool, didn't I? Mm, you did. You did. What did you think of? Okay, so what did you think of when we when I said I was going to start a shop? Actually, with it being with your dad, I thought that was a very good idea because your dad had a lot of knowledge, and it gave you two a chance to, you know, strengthen your relationship, son and father. Did you think, but yeah, but did you think it was going to be like what it turned out to be? <clears throat> I don't think you ever really know. What do you mean you don't know? I mean, what do you, well, yeah, but you have to have some sort of I an mean, idea. You I mean, have... do you think I was crazy? No. I don't think you were crazy. What What did you think when I when I lost my job? <laughs> well, that wasn't the first time. <laughs> <laughs> it was. Uh huh. Kinda. No. 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 Oh. Okay. Maybe not. Yeah. You. You forgot already. <laughs> well, I. Rem- well, I lost. 
Uh-huh. I kind of the only jobs that I lost, I kind of lost on purpose. Can't quit a job when you have kids, but you can fuck up enough at work to where they get rid of you. <laughs> Right. Well, that's not what I, I mean. It wasn't. Okay. But no, I mean, I thought it was actually a, a very good idea. It just, it was something most people talk about, but they don't ever really do it. So to do it, you know, I mean, that's, you know, ballsy, so to say. <laughs> no, it's to say, but it really is. I mean, you have people out there that are dreamers. And then you have people that say, I'm going to, I'm going to, and it just doesn't ever happen. Yeah, but I remember you, I remember you being supportive of the idea opening the shop, but I remember thinking that everybody kind of thought it was like a hobby kind of deal. Who's everybody? Just people in general. I mean, people that I knew already. I don't think that many of my friends that I had at that point in time weren't riding, weren't into Harleys. I pretty much, you know, I didn't know anybody that rode a Harley other than my dad. I mean, it it depends to your friends, yes, and they and they got into that mode. But the people that you're around, I mean, those are the people that you tend to attract. So if you weren't around Harley people, then you start doing Harley things. Harley people are going to come around, or motorcycle people, or chopper people. It just depends on where you're at. Yeah, but I but we didn't know anybody then. No, but it was something new, and it's, I mean, to take that risk, and then, you know what I mean? You, you do something new, and you get out there, and people notice that, and that's what makes it exciting. Yeah, but it's it's funny that it's exciting. I mean, like, I take things for granted, I think, that other people don't. I mean, they think that... Uh, Everybody thinks that because you work in a bike shop. Okay, I'll give you a good example of how you, one thing that swayed your, you thought something was one way and then you found out it was another. When we used to travel all the time, Evan and I used to go to town all the time. We'd go to bike events, right? And then you thought those bike events were what? What did you think we did at those bike events? Well, not all the time. But what did you think, mostly? (laughs) That it was a good time. Well, yeah, but be, I mean... What did you think we did? If so, if there's eight hours, if there's 24 hours in a day. I mean, I thought you worked, obviously, but not to the extent of when I got pulled into one of your excursions. And I realized very quickly just exactly what it all entailed. Do you remember what that was when we went? Oh, absolutely. What was it? (laughs) A lot of work. Well, no, but so to the people that are listening... So everybody knows what's going on. So let me just preface the the what's happening. So um, we go out there. Well, no. So, but nobody knows who you are, okay. right? So we've talked for seven minutes. We're seven minutes into the podcast, and people are probably wondering what the hell's going on. And and I'll do an I'll do a, a like a pre intro kind of thing ahead of time to explain who this is. But we're talking. I'm sitting down with my wife Karen. And we're just we're just kind of getting her warmed up so that she's comfortable talking about what's going on. But she's going to talk about a specific instance where she realized that um, what I was doing for a living, although it involved um, a, a reasonable amount of extracurricular activities that surrounded an event. When you go to a motorcycle event, it's not just even the business part of the motorcycle event isn't doing business. There's other things that happen too, right? 
Well, yeah. And so you thought those things were what? What did you think those extracurricular things were? Well, I don't, um, I'm, I don't know. Honestly. You know? No, I, I really don't. I what mean, did you think just, they were? I thought you were out, yeah, drinking and having a good time. Well, yeah. That's part of it, right? Well, drinking and having a good time, yeah. <laughs> not, not necessarily but, while you're working. But well, let's hope not. No, but there was other things that we were doing too. I mean, I think you. Why are you? You're shaking your head. But She's I'm shaking not, her head <laughs> because I don't know where you're going. Well, no, be honest and tell me what I you am. really thought they I, were. Well, I am. You're. You're asking, but I, I'm not sure. You tell me. Well, okay. So what I'm talking about is, um, you had you had an idea in your head about what went on when we were out of town. Because my dad thought the same thing. He thought everything was a party. Okay. Like nonstop. Well, I didn't think everything was a party nonstop. I thought you worked, but I thought after you were done, yeah. And am I wrong? <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. Well, to be honest with you, now when I go out of town for work, it's... Well, that's because you're old now. Well, it's more partying and less working. <laughs> it's going to go the other way. Yeah. You're in bed by nine. Well, no, I'm not in bed by nine, but... Um, so, so we went to when? Where did we go? Do you remember what we I took? Oh. Well, so, so you thought that I was that there was more extracurricular activities going on than what were actually going on. That's fair to say, right? Okay. Yes. Yes or no? That's the <laughs> yes or no okay. question. Okay. Yes. And so to try to make you understand what was going on, or offer you an opportunity to understand what was going on, we went to the Harley hundred and fifth anniversary. And what did you do? Do you remember the whole, do you remember what happened? I do. A friend of ours got injured while we were there and they needed a filler in to put in transmissions to help. It was Baker. Yeah. We worked for Baker drivetrain. So I helped put those in. You put tools in, in my hands and put me to work. Right. And I had my, what shoes were I wearing? Your little juicy couture uh, slippers. Well, so... So that was a that was a weekend event, right? Mm-hmm. Evan and I drove from Detroit to Milwaukee on I'm going to say Thursday. I know it was hot that day. Yeah, and then Friday when you were done with work, you got on an airplane and flew to Chicago. Mm-hmm. And I drove down to Chicago to the airport to O'Hare. I believe it was O'Hare. Well, it was either O'Hare or Midway, but I want to say you it's came O'Hare. And got me. Yeah, I came and got you from Chicago, and we drove back up to Milwaukee. We got to the hotel room. Do you remember? <laughs> I, uh, so we got to the hotel room, right? Uh-huh, and unpacked, uh-huh. and we were sharing a hotel room with our friends, right? And we went to dinner. Evan and Trish. I don't remember going to dinner. Yeah, we went to dinner. Okay, so we go to dinner Friday night, right? We came back from dinner. Saturday morning, you get up. Do you remember that whole deal? Uh, Yeah. What what happened? I don't think our friends want us to share. Well, no, no, and I'm not talking about that. That was Saturday night. We'll get to that. Oh, okay. No, you got up in the morning. You were kind of like blow drying your hair oh, yeah, and putting your makeup on. And I'm like, dude, put it in a ponytail and get on the back of the bike because we got to be to the booth by nine. I never put in a ponytail though. Well, I think you did. No, I have pictures. I'm gonna pull those pictures up. You do that. But you got on the back of the bike and we worked all day Saturday. We did, and then Saturday night we rode around Milwaukee because at the time we had our we had our chopper, the AOD. Yes, we had the Angel of Death chopper, and then you My remember favorite. remember we ran into Bert at the bar. 
I do. And do you remember what he said? Yes. What did I he say? Not verbatim, I'm paraphr- paraphrasing, but something along the lines of, what are you doing <laughs> with me? <laughs> <laughs> I think it was more like asking you what you were doing with me. That's where I was going. Yeah. He couldn't believe that uh, that I had actually nabbed one, right? <laughs> nabbed one. <laughs> or that I'd snagged one. You just like picked me and plucked me out of out of out of a lineup of blind women. <laughs> yeah, so. No, and then so we went there, and then Sunday we worked all day Sunday, mm-hmm. and then we packed up Sunday, and then we got in the truck to come home. And do you remember what you said to me in the truck? I don't remember, but it was. I know what I was. Remember what I was thinking. What were you thinking? <laughs> this is a lot of work, and don't ever take me to one of those things. And work me like that again. And that's why you'll never see my wife at Sturgis <laughs> or see my wife at Daytona. She's not interested. No, actually, I had a very, very good time. It was just a lot of work. Do you like motorcycles? I like looking at motorcycles. Yes. Do, you like, do you like riding them? Solo? No. No, we know you don't ride. <laughs> we know you don't ride solo. Only because I'd probably go through a wall. But I, I like riding on the back of a motorcycle. What, why do you think you couldn't ride? You ride snowmobiles. You rode dirt bikes. I I know. Motorcycles is a whole different... It's not myself that I'm worried about. It's more people in the area where we're at that worries me. More so than anything. Even with you riding, I worry about that every day. You worry that I ride when I ride? Every day. Why? You get on a bike. Because you, you owning a motorcycle shop, I think we see it more often. Accidents, people coming in, customers... You know, it's you, you really have to be vigilant when you're out there. And I think being an owner, you know, of a, of a business, we see that more often than maybe other people because, you know, it's a revolving door, people coming in and out. So over the course of years, we start to see stuff like that. And people just have to be vigilant and careful. Yeah, and people don't know how to drive in Florida. They don't look for motorcyclists. No, they don't. Everybody's from everywhere else in Florida. So there's, like, not one way that things happen. <clears throat> we can't lane split here, and there's no helmet law here. Right. So unless you're, if you're over 21, you don't have to wear a helmet. But I wear a helmet. I this is my money maker right here. I can't, uh, I can't risk this. Got to keep it intact. <laughs> <laughs> You've been to Daytona before, though. You went to Daytona. I did. That was years ago. Well, I've I've went again, but years ago when we originally went with your parents, our kids were really, really, really little. We went in 04. That was the time we went where all of us came. You flew down there. You flew down for that, too. Yeah. I remember it was really cold that week. It was, was it February? It was when it was still earlier in the year. Yeah. Where did you fly into? You flew out, too. I did. It had to be Orlando. It had to be Orlando. I don't know. even remember who Because you wouldn't have flown into Daytona from Detroit. Who would have flown to Orlando? Most likely. We had you, me... Our girls, my sister, her two girls, my mom, my dad, Sammy, Jackie, my cousins, and then Tim and Patty. We had a that was a shitload of people. people. Twenty-four foot enclosed trailer with a bunch of bikes in it. Remember, my mom had everything under the sun packed in the trailer. 
She still packs everything. I know. She's she's the mom. She's the mom. Yeah, she makes sure that everybody has enough peanut butter sandwiches and bologna sandwiches. and Everyone's taken care of. Tell everybody a funny story about me. <laughs> Which one? There's been multiple funny stories. Your favorite. Over the, over the course of, of the years. Um, what about the Valentine's Day? No, Tell what him. was it on the? You were on someone's bike. Oh, Rob's bike. When Rob left his bike here, <laughs> you graced it with your presence. Yeah. So okay, I'll I'll, I'll set the stage. I think you took a picture and just uh, sent several it pictures. So my buddy Rob bought uh, when we moved down here in 2010. My buddy Rob bought a 2007 Road Glide, <clears throat> and for whatever reason, he was up in Michigan still, and he found, or he's still in Michigan. But he was up in Michigan, and he found a road glide for sale here by us in Florida. And he called me and asked me if I'd go look at it. So I went over and looked at it. It was a good-looking bike. It was a good price. He said he was going to buy it. So he wired the guy the money and asked me to go pick it up. I went and picked it up and brought it to the house. And his idea was that he was going to come in like two months. So the bike was here for two months. And we had, I had just bought you that professional like DSLR camera, that Nikon D40, and a tripod. And so he was like, send me some pictures of my bike. So I took like, I don't know, I probably took 100 plus pictures of his bike. And then when I pushed the bike back in the garage. You had a harebrained idea. So I closed the garage door, turned the lights on. Put the camera on the tripod. I was not present for any of this. But you were in the house. I didn't know you were doing that. Yeah, and I didn't know that somebody... (laughs) One of the girls... Didn't one of the girls have someone... No, no one could have been spending the night because it was was this first summer we moved here. So the girls didn't know anybody here yet. And I took all my clothes off and I sat on Rob's bike and I took fucking... (laughs) I took naked pictures on Rob's bike... (laughs) You know, I sent those to a couple people just as a goof. Oh, my God. I sent it to Jared in uh, from Chopper Dogs in Georgia, and he texted me back. He's like, what <laughs> the fuck are you texting me? He goes, but, he goes, I got to tell you. He goes, the black and white ones, kind of artistic. <laughs> <laughs> so I took all those pictures, and I put them in an email, and I sent them to Rob. And Rob said he was sitting there going through the phone, through the email, looking at all the pictures, click, 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 click. And then he saw me sitting on it naked (laughs) and he was like, oh my God. And he clicked again and it went to another picture. And then a few pictures later, it was the picture of me with my ass facing the camera, looking over my shoulder at him. (laughs) So word to the wise, if you leave your motorcycle with me, you're getting nudes. Uh, great people get to look so forward to that is that what you do all day in your no i don't take any nude pictures of my shop thank god no you never know when someone's going to come in there (laughs) yeah exactly so let's go back to when we started the motorcycle shop okay what is your what is your earliest memory of like something happening over there I mean, what sticks out? Like, was there a certain point where when we started our business where you're like, I don't think this is going to make it, or I think this is going to make it, or what in the fuck is he doing? One of the things, no, I mean, one of the things that sticks out, like the party, I know it sounds crazy, but that party with Evan, 
he had the radio station there. You had a bunch of vendors and oh, yeah. builders yep. that came in. I think that was one of the best events that you you two had ever put on. That was um, when you did Michael Waltrip's? That was before we built the bike for Michael Waltrip. That was the Napa um, corporate gig. So we had built... <clears throat> that was with um, WRAF Radio in Detroit, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 101. WRAF, the home of rock and roll, and uh, Meltdown was the DJ, the disc jockey that was there, and we gave away that chopper. Remember the bike with the blue, the blue bike with the white flames yep. that Andy painted. We gave that bike away, and uh, Baker Drivetrain, shout out to Baker Drivetrain. Baker Drivetrain gave us a, uh, I think they just gave us a five-speed trans, but that was when Stretch worked there, and I called Stretch, and I'm like, hey, we just got picked up by Napa. That was a weird year because that was 2005. We had just moved into, we had just been in business. We started our business December 3rd of, I think, it's either December 1st or December 3rd of 20, of 2003. We opened up and we opened up in that little shoe store, basically. Yeah. In fact, we sold shoes. Remember, that's what got us through our first winter was those Sha Sha shoes. Yep. I actually did pretty good selling them. Yep. I remember I went with you guys. I still have a pair of those. Had the little hidden pocket. Yep. I have a pair of Billy Lane Shasha shoes. They're brand new in the box. Um, And we, so we started out in that little shop and we couldn't get any, we weren't selling anything. Like people were coming in, a few people came in and a few people bought stuff, but people were like coming in and checking out and then leaving. We hadn't been, I mean... We didn't have a service department. And then Al, remember Al Secord? Yeah. He bought some parts off me, some grips, and said, I'll buy the grips from you if you put them on for me. So I had him come to the house. Remember, he came to the house on Hanford. And when he came in the garage and our race car was there and my bike was there, remember I bought that, that bike from up north? When I rode all the way up north on the back of my dad's goddamn bike. <laughs> that was another when you fell. <laughs> you and your I dad, didn't fall. My dad your fell. Your dad fell, but you were on the back oh of it. Oh, my God. What a, and you could hear him. I could hear him in the headset. Yeah, anyway, yeah. so Al Secord came to the house. He said that once he saw my bike all apart, and then he saw my bike put back together when it was done after I'd done all the powder coating and stuff, he said that that was it that's all he needed to see and so we moved so that was we opened up december 2003 and then by memorial day of 2004 4th of july it was 4th of july 2004 we had moved into the the first shop that we had that had a service department remember we rented out part of it to victor yes yes i remember he did some really really good tattoos yeah he's a funny dude and uh, so we moved into the bigger shop with Victor as, as a tenant. Mm-hmm. We had the showroom. And then we met Evan. Evan was one of the first people to come into the shop. And he was coming in. Uh, he worked at Napa Auto Parts. He drove that little truck with the baseball hat on it around Plymouth. And he came in and made friends with my dad. And I actually, you know, you know where I met Evan at? Where I actually met him? Where? On Main Street in Daytona. Really? That's where I met Evan. Uh, the years prior? No. Or was it that, that same, same year? That same year, 2004. When we all went, Evan was walking across Main Street, and my dad goes, that's Evan. 
shouted for him to come over and Evan came over and he was all clean cut and clean shaven and he had a he had a button down like a full button shirt on mm-hmm. I don't remember where he was going or what he was doing but he was walking down Main Street I think that was he was dating that Andrea girl I think her name was Andrea I never met her but I think she was sick she got food poisoning at Denny's that was the year that they got food poisoning and so he was just walking around by himself up and down Main Street and we ran into him but I, anyway I met him there so I know we're going kind of out of sync here, but so <clears throat> that party that you're talking about, that was a year after that in 05. So, so we're we going were, back to... We were open for only a year and a half when we got that corporate gig with Napa Auto Parts, and we built a bike for Detroit. So you grew fairly Ex- quickly. We grew fast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We grew really fast. It was really weird, especially when you figure... Because I lost my job uh, at the dealership the weekend... It was the day after Shelby's birthday party in 2004. That was Labor Day weekend. Mm-hmm. I got back to work. Um, I remember. Do you remember that day? I don't. So I'll get back to that. But So we opened our shop in 2003. It grew super fast when we opened up that service department. Because we didn't even have, I mean, at the time we had like, we we didn't know shit. Uh, honestly, we didn't know shit. We didn't know. I all I knew was <clears throat> all I could draw from all of my sales experience, and then being a counter guy at super shops and Ram Chargers, and then just being a mechanic because I've been a licensed mechanic since I was in high school. Because in Michigan, you have to have a license, which pisses me off that you don't have to in Florida. But anyway, that's another story. But then we did that first winter. That was pretty bleak. I mean, you were you were doing the childcare out of the house. Mm-hmm. You were kind of carrying the load. We had just bought a new house. We had just bought a new house and moved into that new shop that year. That was the most expensive house we've ever bought. It's more expensive than it was over a hundred grand more than the house we live in right now. That was the most. We had two brand new cars. I had my motorcycles. I think I had two motorcycles at the time. You may have. Uh... I had the dress. I did. No wait. When did I sell the dresser? I had the dresser in, the, in that Sportster chopper I built. And then in 05, we got approached by Napa. That first winter... How the, did you get approached by Napa? Funny story. So the, the first winter that we were there, remember the first bike build we ever got? Do you remember that guy, Bob? He was a piece of shit. The plumber. He ended, we built the bike that was you did the photo shoot for. The bike that you did the photo shoot for that was on the T-shirts? Yeah. It was in the horse. Okay. okay we built that bike that. for that yeah. dude. Oh, yes. I can't oh, yes. remember his last name. But we were, remember, we were taking pictures, and Jason Benello's brother was getting tattooed by Victor. And he walked down, and he had gear with him. He had camera gear with him. He had all that camera gear. He's like, do you mind if I take a, two, take a few pictures? And we said, shit, take them all. So he took all those pictures, and he gave them all to us. Right. And then... <clears throat> So we took pictures of, of you doing that uh, doing that bike and Gary's Carlini bike. So that was that was early 06 when that happened, or, or early 05 when that happened. And then the Napa thing, I was at I was at work one day and I got a phone call from Bob Kazitis. And Bob was who I moved, um, one of the two guys that I moved to Muskegon with to be on the radio. Do you remember? Did you ever meet? Did you ever meet him? I don't think you ever met Harry. Did you? 
I, I don't have Harry. We called him Harry, but his name was, was Robert Kazitis. Um, I get a phone call from him. He said, hey, do you build bikes? We're like, yeah, we build bikes. And he goes, okay, I'm going to have somebody call you. So that lady called me from the Riff, who was in charge of promotions. Bob was in charge of promotions for WCSX 94.7, the classic rock station that I listened to. This lady called us, and she said, hey, here's the deal. We've got this sponsor backed out. We need somebody to build a bike. Um, and basically, they wanted us. Basically, we had to build a bike, give it, give them the bike, and in return, they would give us um, uh, all that airtime. We had like two weeks of airtime, and then they had that big party, of that live remote at the shop. Well, in the meantime, before I would agree to it, I said I wanted the people from Napa to come in. Well, Napa came in, and we showed them around the shop, showed them some of the bikes that we had built. And the guy was impressed. He he was he liked what he saw. Right. And he said, um, you know, what a, what's it going to take to do this? And I told him, I said, how about you guys sell toolboxes, right? He's like, yeah. And I said, how about two toolboxes, one for me and one for him? So that's how Evan and I got those giant blue toolboxes was wow. Napa gave us those. I mean, we ended up costing us a lot of money. In the long run, it cost us a lot of money. But we did the we got the two toolboxes. We got all that advertising. We had the live remote, <clears throat> and then we did. We gave the one bike away. Well, when we gave that one bike away, as soon as we did that, we got contacted from Napa Corporate, from their guy Joe Ross from Direct Results in Atlanta, Georgia, called us and said, "Hey, Orange County Choppers basically fucked us or backed out of the deal that we had with them, and we need." Um, we need some more bikes built. Will you build one for Syracuse, New York, which was kind of cool because that's upstate New York and uh, Orange County is in upstate somewhere. So we did Syracuse, New York and Indianapolis, Indiana. Mm -hmm. And so we did both of those bikes. We charged them, uh, we told them 15 grand a piece and um, that was everything turnkey. And we bought. We went and ordered. Uh, we went and ordered two kit bikes from Custom Chrome. And when they came in, Evan and I just switched all the parts from the from the two things. Why are you looking at me like that? You did that. Or, well, well, they're kit bikes, so there's bikes in a box. It was a whole bike in a box. It was the easiest way to do. Still caught. Well, it's still that's what it was called. A bike I in a know. box. <clears throat> and it so it was. But don't. I mean, don't let people. You know, don't. What? I mean, it turned out really, really, really phenomenal. Well, yeah, they were, they were custom nice bikes. bikes. We built yeah. parts for them, but I mean, we knew if we bought those bikes that there was two fenders in every box, an engine, a trans, a prime. We got a good deal on it. I mean, they don't sell those anymore. So we bought two kit bikes and took them all, you know, jumbled all the parts up, ordered other parts, built our, you know, Evan built the one for Syracuse. I focused on the one for Indianapolis because we both had. So you customized them. Well, yeah, we had completely different styles. Evan right, and I did. Right. We both built our own exhaust. We both. Mm-hmm. Evan I changed that. everything. I remember yeah. that. You did a photo shoot on both the bikes. Yeah. Those well, the... I mean, I remember as you were going through it, both of you having your own styles and. Yeah. Well, so we did that, and then we produced both of those bikes, and then they paid us. They paid us money to travel. They paid us money to take the bikes around and show the bikes. They paid us all of our expenses. So we were in hotels and driving around, and they paid all of our food, and they made all those posters for us. 
Right. And then every time they had an event at a Napa store, I mean, it, honestly, when, when you look back on it, it's, it's kind of chicken shit. But early in your career to have something like that happen and get that kind of shine was cool. By that point in time, by two years in, we had built, um, by that point in time, we had built three, three bikes for a corporate client. We had had um, one full feature in a magazine. I got picked up by the horse. I started writing for the horse. And then um, when, the, for, when those second two bikes were done, uh, Napa approached us one last time and asked us to build. This is where I'm trying to think of how they did this, how they worded it. <clears throat> oh, they needed a bike done in like, I don't know, 30 days, something like that. And so we didn't get, we didn't do a kit bike this time. Evan and I sat down. We told them we wanted 25. They wanted us to, that was what it was. They wanted us to shut down our service department for a whole month and do just focus on their one bike. And so they paid us 25 grand to build the bike, the same caliber that we had just done for 15. They gave us an extra $8,500, um, just to shut down the shop. Cause that's what we figured. That's what we would profit in one month back then in the service department. So we paid, we shut the shop down and then they had that TV crew come in and film that whole pilot for speed vision that or speed channel that never went anywhere. And I lost that disc. I wish I had that disc. I had the disc of all the raw footage of that, all the ride up North, all the going to the bar, everything. You don't know where you, oh, I have no idea. I know where the, the trailer uh, is on YouTube. If you go to steel chopping on YouTube, the trailers on there for that, for that, program and you could see us building the bike and you could see the way they were filming. I mean, they were doing it straight. I mean, just like TV had been done back then. That's right. how they were doing it. But, um, it, that the show never went anywhere. And then, uh, we went to Atlanta and showed that bike. It was officially licensed by Michael Waltrip and, um, we gave the bike to him and then he gave it to somebody in, uh, one of the Napa dealers in Atlanta. But I mean, that takes us through like almost to the first from December 3rd of 23, 2003, 2004, 2005. And that was, was that, that was 05. That wasn't three years. It wasn't full three full years. It was two years in, right? It was the same. Yeah. It was the same year. It was the same year that the kids, uh, that the kid kids were, um, uh, it was the year after we had moved into the new house in, in Canton. That all that happened? Mm-hmm. Well, what was, I gonna, what was the story that I was going to come back to? Because you said something. You said... You and your father when you fell. Oh, when I fell, yeah. So Actually, when your dad went down and you landed on him because you were riding together. Where were you going? Going up north to buy the bike. Remember? Yeah. So in, back when I bought my first Harley, you could buy a Harley ride it and then sell it and make money. That was the last year you could do it. You'll never, and it'll never happen again. Never. I had a guy just turn in, um, a 2008 Dyna, a 35th anniversary edition with 35 miles on it. Like, honestly, like less than, less than 8,000 bucks is what he got for it. Oh wow! And he probably paid 13 for it. I'm guessing. 
Yeah. But anyway, <clears throat> so I bought the Sportster in in spring. I remember coming home. I remember my dad was down in Daytona Bike Week '03, and he was emailing pictures back. I remember I talked to him on the phone and him telling me, "You got to come down here. It's awesome. It's so much fun." And I was tired of the drag racing deal. I had enough with the the Mustang. And uh, I remember telling you that I was going to go to go and buy a Harley. I remember that. Yeah. Do you remember what you said? <laughs> No, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> you actually did try to tell me no, didn't you? I didn't t- try to tell you no. <laughs> I just said no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not trying to tell you no, but I just told you no. But did that work? No. No, because what did we end up with? You ended up with a sportster. And then what do we end with? End up with today? <laughs> well, we end up with a bike every couple of months lately. <laughs> Something different. In a bike shop, and our whole our whole world is pretty much motorcycles. Pretty much. So going back to that, so you and your dad are traveling to together. Well, no. So I sold the Sportster. Remember, I sold the Sportster to a guy down in Alabama, and I drove to Atlanta. Right? I drove it to Atlanta with my mom and dad. And delivered the Sportster in the parking lot of wherever the Atlanta Braves play. Like, I met the dude. We drove all night. Met the guy 6 o'clock in the morning. Drove to my aunt and uncle's house. Slept. Had lunch. Had dinner. Got up in the middle of the night and drove home. Right? And then that was either right before or right after I had bought my next bike. And I had found a 91 FLHS now, mind you, painting the picture here, this was in 2003. <clears throat> I bought an 883 Sportster in in March. We rode that from, we rode that, me and you rode that from our house to our cottage that one time, the long way, took eight hours, right? Yeah. And then we rode, and you said, I'm not riding on that again until you get a new seat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, because it hurt your front butt. <laughs> <laughs> and then sit on that seat. Let me see you sit on that for that long of a of a ride, and then you'll tell me different. And then Not. so we put a new seat on it, and then we rode in one weekend. We rode from our house in Detroit, well Canton, to Buffalo, New York. Mm-hmm. Then to Niagara Falls, which is only across the, it's only across the bridge. Niagara Falls, Canada, and then drove all the way home from Canada over the bridge in one weekend on a yep. Sportster. On a little Sportster. And I was going from cheek to cheek. <laughs> Do you remember you came out when you were trying to pack all the clothing? And I said, I handed you a grocery bag. I said, this is how much you can take. Well, I had a bag that I put in your parents. They had those little... Saddlebags or whatever. I we had saddlebags on our bike. You remember? I put but I put hard, a I lot put of hard. stuff in your parents. <laughs> <laughs> you travel heavy. No, I don't ever. You did then. No, I don't. I have like a bag and a straightener. Do you remember I had that sweet Harley F one fifty bandana? I remember. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> what kind of shirt? Do you remember what kind of shirt I had on all weekend? Different shirts, but <laughs> you had different th- shirts. <laughs> yeah, but do you remember what it said on it? I just remember the vest. And your your flair. It was an Orange County Chopper shirt. (laughs) (laughs) 
I went deep, didn't I? Oh my god! But you didn't say the story about you still have to go back to when you fell. So so yeah. So when I was saying this, we rode. So we did all that riding, and you said we have to get a bigger bike. You did say that. It was time. So I found a 1991 FLHS because I thought at the time I wanted everybody was getting big bikes, and I love choppers, but everybody was getting big bikes that we rode with. So I thought I'm just gonna get I'll just get a bike that I can customize. So I found that bike up north, way up north in Oscoda. People don't. Well, so I'm, but I'm painting the picture. Yeah, so it was hours away. If the the route that we took up north took eight hours to get there. Okay. Right, it was eight hour one way ride. Good visual. There you go. And so your aunt Marge said, "Why don't you guys all ride up there? If you're getting a new motorcycle, why don't you guys all ride up there and you can ride your new motorcycle back?" And I said, "Because it's a motorcycle." And I have to get up there to get it. And I can't, I don't, I just sold my bike. So I don't have a bike to ride up there. And even if I did, if I rode up there, I'd have to ride back on. How, how am I going to get? And she said, just ride on the back of your dad's bike. With your dad driving and you can hug him. (laughs) So to paint the picture. Your dad has long hair. Yep. Um, and braid, he usually braids it, so those so, that are in the back. So my dad is, what, 6'2"? At this point, he's still pretty young, pretty spry. He's 285 pounds, right? That's about right. I'm 5'10", 195, 200 pounds at this point, right? Right. right. And so we're going to go up north with a group of guys... And I'm going to ride eight hours one way on the back of my dad's bike. Yes. So you, you, <laughs> so you guys get ready. So we get ready. We put the helmets on and we have the communicators <laughs> that are plugged yeah, into the motorcycle. Wonderful communicators. And so he goes, okay, you ready? And I'm like, okay, yeah. But okay. you're looking all serious. We're, yeah, because I didn't want to be on the back of the bike. We pull out of the driveway and he goes, we get to the end of the street and he goes, do you have the phone number for the person you're supposed to meet? And I said, no, I don't. And he says, okay, I'm going to turn around. And he starts to turn around in the intersection. I hear, oh, 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 we're going down. And I hear, and then I landed on top of him. And he's like, get up, get up, get up, get up. Help me pick the motorcycle up. Help me pick the motorcycle up. In the middle of the fucking road with this curly cord attached to my head and the curly cord attached to his head. And now I'm pissed and I don't want the curly cord anymore. (laughs) And so we get back on the bike and a guy pulls up in a car and he goes, is, is everything all right? And we're like, yeah. He goes, anybody hurt? I'm like, no. And he goes, just your pride. I go a little bit. And he drove (laughs) off. So we get back on the bike, drive back to the house. Did you see us fall? No, I didn't. You didn't see us fall? No, but I heard all about it. So then we get on the bike. We ride all the way up north. I get that bike. $10,000 I paid for that bike. That bike is probably worth, right now, right now, that bike was a 91. That was in 2003. 
that bike was 12 years old. A 12-year-old Harley right now is probably worth six grand. Wow. I mean, they're just not fucking worth anything anymore when they're used like that. There's so many of them, the abundance of them. It's just bizarre to me because I remember the days when you couldn't go buy a Harley. I mean, that, that was a real deal. You couldn't buy one. The used bike market was as strong or stronger than what the, the new bike, bar, uh, bike market was. So, so we're in, so we're back in 2000, go back up 2000. We went over the Milwaukee trip, right? Right. And we went over your initial thoughts when we were going to open the shop. I remember you telling me that it was. What? I remember having a conversation in our house where you kind of were, you didn't understand what I was doing. You're like, what are you doing? You have a job. You can't, you're not going to do this. You're not going to quit your job, are you? That kind of thing. It was kind of like when I got my first tattoo and you go, you're not going to get another one, are you? And I'm like, I don't know. I just got this one. That's all I know. Boy, you're making me sound pretty. No, but I mean, I'm not trying to make you sound like anything. Okay. So I don't remember that with the, with the shop, but I do remember you going from... Like, you started out with the first shop, and then we moved to the second one. You got a little bit bigger, and then you moved. And then I know that you met Rob, and then you guys decided to move down here. And it, and you still had the shop up in Canton, because that was after you and Evan ended up. Evan took the shop in Plymouth, and then you ended up moving down here. Right. So tell us a little bit about that. Well, I want to know what your impression of it is. I'm listening to you. What your impression of um, when you moved? What you know? I mean, obviously, that was a big jump. Well, yeah, for the whole family. It was a big move for the whole family. So, so that everybody knows. Well, let's do this before we talk about that. So that everybody knows, we moved down here in 2010. With the dogs. With the dogs. And we actually closed on our house here in Florida yeah. on our 16th wedding anniversary. Okay. Yes. You remember that, I right? I do remember that. Because you were driving down with the girls and the yeah, dogs. it was Easter weekend. And you were coming down for spring break. Mm-hmm. You still lived in Michigan, and I moved down here. Yep. And I was op- I had op- uh, the store, Cycle Stop USA, opened in Florida the very next day. That yep. was the third. It was a Saturday. We opened April 3rd, 2010. That was our... That was our opening day, our inception day. And so we had been, we had, when we moved down here, we had been married a total of just married 16 years. We got married young. Let's back all the way up before we go forward and talk about Florida. Talk about how we met. Because I know you remember that more than I remember that. Well, you were the boy next door. You moved in. But, but apparently my parents knew your parents way before... Like, even before you and I were even born as teenagers. Well, no, even before that. My mom went to grade school with your dad. So if you go back to the amount of time that my family and your family have been intertwined, it goes back to the 50s, the but early... But we didn't know this. We didn't I mean, know when, that. when you moved in, no. didn't know who you were. No. But when I moved in, so my parents... When I graduated high school in 91, my parents sold our farmhouse... Because they retarded all the work, and they knew I wasn't going to do it anymore. Um, I say that. They say that, too. But I don't know what the deal was. But at any rate, they decided to sell the big house. 
the farm and all the farmhouse stuff and, and then move, move back into a subdivision. And then you can next tell because of me being a twin, my sister and I apart. So was, why don't you and your sister come on over? Yeah, but you got to talk about how you were stalking me for... How long did you stalk me for? I did not stalk you. I you said at, you stalked I, I could see you in the window. Okay, did you or did you not fall off your dresser in your bedroom That was watching sheer, me? sheer curiosity of who the new neighbors were. So you were on top of your dresser looking at who the new neighbors were? Because I had a window up high and I had to see who the new neighbors were because you could hear people talking from, from outside. And the house was for sale, so I decided to, to give it a little peek. So when you fell off your dresser... I wasn't living there yet? Not yet, no. You all were looking at the house to move in. Okay, so... But I didn't know that you were in the process of deciding you were going to get it. <laughs> I wouldn't have known that. No. So, Wendy, when was the first time you remember, like, seeing me? <laughs> what? I did see you when you were working on your vehicle out in your yard from my window. You make it sound like I was a hillbilly. You were working on your car. You had overalls. You said I had did not have overalls. You on. did have overalls. I had coveralls. They I were had coveralls. no. You had these overalls with little. They were like um, no. blue denim, and you you left. You are one. full of yes, shit. Not when do. I was working on a car. Yes, you would have them, and you you had one that was like you always wore that was unbuckled. Dude, you you did. make me sound like I'm in color me bad or something. <laughs> you could have been. <laughs> <laughs> You did. You had. I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> ones. And then you had the little haircut and all that stuff going. What do you mean I had a little haircut? You had like the little sides. You know, you did little, uh, like, I don't know what those were. Little, like, shaved. Like, they look like little lines on the sides. Yeah, I had, I had lines on the side. Mm-hmm. And my hair was curly on top and then longer in the back. And you wore denim overalls. And uh, like an IOU or something shirt. Purple. I remember that. Uh. <laughs> You're terrible. And then you would wear this orangey, or I think it was an orange, like a jump sh- jumpsuit. No, I had a dark purple. blue jumpsuit. Blue? I had a dark blue jumpsuit. When it was cold, suit. you would wear... Yeah, coveralls. And I remember you were working on your car one time. It was a Thunder... Was it a Thunderbird? I had a Thunderbird when Big we were dating. Big burgundy one. And it was then, black with a burgundy leather interior. It was and, a 78 with a sunroof. Yeah, because you're like, I got a Thunder. I'm like, cool. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> oh, you thought it was a bomb. Uh-huh. And not so much, but you were working on it. And then you had all of these parts left. And your dad's like, what are you doing with all of that? And you're like, I don't know. He's like, you better find where that goes because you were just going to get rid of it. I did. Oh, I had to put a water pump on it. And you had all these extra parts. Yeah, they, they Ford put too many parts on. They yeah. used too many yeah, bolts when they put was. that car together. Hey, that's it worked exactly when I was done. Was. That's all I knew. Back then, I was not having it. <laughs> that was when I was going to school to be a radio DJ. I do remember that. See, and then I don't know how, but I remember homecoming. It that was, was the first date. 
Your th- yeah, but your your mother said you were going to take me because you were not going to at all. I wasn't hip to it. No. I wasn't on the Karen train yet. Not at all. In fact, when we went to homecoming that night and we went to the movies. It was an amazing it date. Was it was an amazing cold. date. It was freezing. I thought I was very chivalrous. I was a gentleman. You didn't give me a jacket. I was a gentleman. You just put it in the car. Hey. We went and saw Naked Gun. Two and a half. Two and a half. I took you to a fancy Italian restaurant. Here's what I remember from that night. You did take me to a fancy so, restaurant. That part I, you did. But we went to a dollar movie. You hoodwinked me into, through guerrilla tactics, into taking you gorilla out. Gorilla tactics. You did. You made my. Okay, you told my sister that you wanted me to take you to homecoming. And so no, my sister, my sister told said my mom. You, your mother, or your sister, and your sister told your mother. Well, all I know is my mom said I was taking you to a, a dance. And I said, I'm not taking her to a dance. And my mom said, you are taking her to a dance. You are taking that girl to her homecoming. That's what she said. Because I remember you and your twin sister, Sharon, were standing outside in the backyard. And you were arguing, <clears throat> which I, I later learned was a fake argument. I and I was wear wearing my coveralls. <laughs> I was working on my... I think I had, I had my Malibu at that point in time with the big block in it. And I was working on that car, and you guys were arguing about something. What I to was wear? Not Do you attention. wear casual or formal? That's what I found out it was. And so I walked, you're like, excuse me, excuse me, can I ask you a question? And I said, yeah. And you or your sister, I don't remember who it was, because I couldn't tell you part then, said, what do you wear to a homecoming? Do you wear casual or do you wear formal? And you said, what's your date wearing? And so she said, my sister, she doesn't have a date. And you said, well, you need to get one first. And then what did I do? You ended up taking me. No, right after that, that's not what I did. (laughs) After that, I was like, you got to get a date first. And I turned around and started working on my car again. And then we went to homecoming. I met your grandma. Grandma Huff, mm-hmm. and I remember being at your house, and I got Steve to go out with one of your friends, Stacy, I think. Yeah. So there was Stacy, Jamie, you. Stacy, Jamie, you, and there was me, Steve, and Ed, your brother. And I remember your brother lit a cigarette and smoked it so fast the entire cigarette was red, and he was driving your dad's van with all of us in it, and he kept doing brake torques in it. That's what I remember. We went to Garden City's homecoming, and then we drove down Warren Road, down Cowan, and went up Wayne Road to go to De Palma's. I mm-hmm. took you to De Palma's Italian restaurant, and they had a little the violin dude come no, over. No, it was a pianist. He had a pianist? Yes. Was it a big pianist? <laughs> so, okay, so he had a, when I took you there for our anniversary, after it burned down... There was a violinist there because he came to our table. But anyway, so then we went from there. We had dinner, and you ordered doesn't matter, which is what you ordered no matter where we went for food for a good year. When I asked you what you wanted, you said doesn't matter. And then we went from there to... But I I think that happens now with you. What do you want for dinner? Oh, no, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And then I have to think of meals all the time. Well, she was on the other foot now, sweetheart. Yeah. Except for it was a year, and now it's been 24 years. Yeah. So, has it been that long? Yeah, it has been that long. 
Actually, longer than that. Yeah, we're in our 25th year of marriage right now. No, I'm not talking about marriage, so if you go back (laughs) before that, we're like 27 or something. 91. Yeah, 1991. So we went to homecoming, we went to the Italian restaurant, then we went to the Terrace, which was the dollar dollar theater, Mm -hmm. and we watched Naked Gun Two and a Half, and I left my coat in the car. And you were cold, and you didn't say anything. And you didn't offer. And then at the you end were so of the night, chivalry. And then at the end of the night, you gave me a bro hug. <laughs> no, you gave me the bro hug. What would you want me to do? You didn't even you could like you didn't even fist bump or anything. But no one fist bumped in '91. <laughs> fist bump is like there. ten years old. I don't think people have been fist bumping for more than ten years. I don't know. We didn't know what on fleek was. No, we found out what on fleek was when our daughter was stoned out of her mind on her her wisdom, getting her wisdom teeth pulled up. So that was in 91. We got married in 94. And then we moved here in 2000. This is not a very energetic podcast, Karen. Next time I'm going to have to get you drunk. I'm trying. You're you're jumping all over. Well, it's (laughs) just trying to have a conversation. I'm going forward in time and back in time. I'm trying to keep up with you. You've been trying to do that for 27 years. I'm telling you. <clears throat> so, it's like a hurricane. Um, so we moved here in 2010. Gonna open, we opened the first shop. And then in, 2013, in 2010, I started teaching school, too, and start, uh, did the automotive program over at Wesley Chapel. I did that for three years while we had the shop. And then in 2013, we opened store number two <laughs> in Tampa, and everything kind of quickly closed door number two. Yeah, and then it just it wasn't working. Everything went to shit at that point for a little while. And then in twenty sixteen, no, twenty fifteen, I started teaching again for a little while in Polk County at Mulberry High School. And that didn't work out. I more did that just to do it though. And then you got it back into the shop. Well, the full, shop full never... Full gear. Yeah. Full the, gear. The, the fu- you the you had the shop stopped. going, but it was back in full gear. Well, the reason why... I, I always felt like I could go do something else, and I know I can go do something else. I know I can have... I have these other things I have the ability to do. And I needed something that afforded me <clears throat> um, trying to pay off the store that we opened in Tampa was the biggest reason to do that. Because I'm still trying to pay that back. So I figured if I go over and do this over here, then all my bills are handled off that money. And then the shop money that I would make can go back into paying down that stuff. And I had at the time, I had Don working for me and Jesse. So really, I didn't need to be there much. So when I, w- when I was there, it was I was adding to it. And then Don got his job at Baker Drivetrain. So I went back to the shop full time when we got back from England. And I got a staph infection while we were in England. <laughs> right in my right in my B in my in my right cheek of my B. And then um That was fun. Oh that was a hoot and a half. Yeah, you, I'm glad you think that was funny. Son of a motherless goat. That was almost as fun Well we were <laughs> <laughs> That was almost as fun as the vasectomy weekend when I got my vasectomy. When I went down the dirt road? The last dirt road in Wayne County, Michigan, you find it to drive down after I just had my nuts 
injected and, and cut then I tried to floor it to make it yeah, go to try faster to skip over all the, to, yeah it didn't that work. was awesome so that was that was a funny thing because you had do you remember you had asked me for years to get a vasectomy and I had always You're said like, no I was no. just like nope and I don't know what it was in conversation I said it and you're like okay no I think I said that well maybe it was in conversation but I remember just saying all right. Yeah, I, I would. I, I'm thinking maybe it. I would do that. So, and I came home from work the next day. And you're like, you okay, check it schedule. out. You're going to the urologist on Monday, and then on the following Monday, then I'm like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Can we talk about this? You're like, nope, it's all set. You're gonna go. And then remember the last minute, <clears throat> I took the day you off panicked. work. I took the day off work. Yeah, I panicked. I took the day off work. Remember. I do. And the, I was I sitting there and I Valium. said, and I said, I need a Valium. And you're like, what? And I'm like, you need to call the doctor and tell them that I need a Valium. Or I'm not doing this. And you call the doctor and you go, they don't do that. And I go, well, then no, I'm. No, I called the doctor and I told him, you will have to do that or he's not coming in. And they. So we called you in. They called me in a, a prescription. prescription and it was the size of. Like a, not even a grain of rice. This little tiny, this little tiny pill. And I remember I little took ten, it. It was a potent, potent pill. Yeah, it was because I kept giggling the whole time. They made me watch that stupid fucking video <laughs> with the about Bob the with the with the weird shorts and the tall socks. It was obvious. It was so Michigan Catholic, dude. It was like he had this little Dick Duster <laughs> mustache, this curly '80s hair, those shitty shorts that we wore when we were kids with the pinstripes that went up your, the side of your leg, and really tall tube socks. And he was vacuuming out <laughs> an above cool. ground fucking pool. It was so Michigan. It was just the funniest thing ever. Dude had these giant fucking glasses on. Oh, my God. And I remember giggling watching that. And then I had to sign a piece of paper. And you're like, this isn't working. But you were laughing the whole time. Yeah. I didn't think it was working. Yeah, Yeah, it's it's working. And then I got that done. And then I remember I had to... (laughs) Do you remember I had to... They said, like, I had to ejaculate, like... I had to ejaculate, like, 40 or 50 times. I don't know how many... I I didn't... No, I didn't. And then I had to take it in. (laughs) I had to take a sample there. That was driving down the road... With a bottle full of my potential children. No, because there's nothing. To sacrifice in there. them <laughs> at the altar of my masculinity. <laughs> yeah, but you about mortified the, the girl there. Yeah. You put it in her face. I didn't put it in her face. That's you need to rephrase that. I didn't put it in anyone's face. I've you never. You had the container. I, and you just for the record, right I have at never. Her very close to her, and you said, "What do I do with this?" I have never put ejaculate in a woman's face. I can honestly say that that has never landed there ever. You, you had a container, right? Yeah, at but her. they don't have a sign. They had a sign where to go to sign in for uh-huh. blood pressure. They had a sign to go sign in for something else. And here I am walking around with a pocket full of Tozoa and in a Ziploc bag in a container that says on there that the, the direction said best uh, for best results, collect specimen on site. So could you imagine if I'm sitting in my, in my car in the parking lot collecting a specimen and a cop walks up? I would yeah. be on, I'd be on a list. <laughs> so I go in. There's nobody helping me. No one's like, hey, do you, you look lost. You look confused. 
I just walked up to the first person I could see, and I said, where do I put this? And she's and like, you oh. handed it right <laughs> she up goes, to her. right this way. So I said you put it in her face. <laughs> I just want to clarify for the record so that someone's listening here. They don't think I'm like some vile <laughs> putting ejaculate in women's faces. You know, especially women I don't know. <laughs> I've been married for 24 you years. You freaked her out. Yeah, I'm sure. They're probably unsettling. She probably, <laughs> that was probably the topic of discussion when she got home of having a bad day. I'm sure I didn't, I'm sure I contributed to like, some you of the bad. You know what happened to me today? Yeah. So. So anyway. So yeah. So that was a good weekend though. I remember sitting on the couch with a frozen bag of peas on my junk. And you waiting on me hand and fist. And remember I walked down to the basement and passed out at the, I do at the basement that. of the stairs. <laughs> I do. I do. I was feeling a little froggy. You were feeling a lot froggy. I feel like we're leaving some stuff out. How about your Adam Lambert tattoo? My you Adam Lambert tattoo? Out. I for the record, I do not have an Adam Lambert tattoo. <laughs> But I almost but you had, almost did. I almost had a huge an amber lab, am- like shrine across your whole back. Look, so you desperately wanted it. No, I did not yeah, want you it. Did. You were ready to go. No, You're like it Adam, was good. Look, Adam Lambert is, is my American hero. No, American Idol. <laughs> American Idol. No, so he could be your, your American hero. The way it went was uh-huh. American Idol started. In like oh two oh three somewhere around there, and you were a diehard fan. So this is like three or four years in, and Adam Lambert was on, and I thought he should have won. And so I was getting all the artwork done for my back piece, mm-hmm. and Trish had drawn this magnificent thing with my Angel of Death bike on it, Evan Sportster on it, um, the front of our. Cadillac, our 55 Caddy on there, and then the cross streets where the the um, farmer in Amelia, Amelia Street, yeah. right, yeah. Where, the, yeah. where the shop was, yeah. and then in the background was the Detroit skyline with the Renaissance, with the Rens and all this shit. I knew that that's what she, because that's what I had asked for, that's what she was drawing, and then it says... Um, Adam? No, it says steel chop. <laughs> Adam Lambert It says steel chopping in lower town on my back. <laughs> that's what it says. Okay. <laughs> and so when I went in to go get that done, she had done the layout and she showed me the, she, see, the thing is she showed me the artwork and then she sprayed my back with the transfer fluid, whatever that is. And she lays that whole thing on my back and she peels it off and she hands me a mirror and I'm looking at a little mirror into a big mirror. And in my head, my brain hadn't processed that she had switched the artwork on me. And so I'm like looking at it and I'm like, okay, yeah, my, all I knew is that my whole back was covered. And you're like, yeah, it's good. It's good. <laughs> and then when I really, I don't know if I looked at it or you said I should look at it or what happened. She was, we we're both let's just kind of laughing and we're like, oh, you're like, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. And she's like, you, we both, you want to look at it one more time just to make sure it's centered <laughs> right. And then. And then I looked at it and paid attention, and it said, Adam Lambert is my American, American Idol. Idol, and it had a picture of Adam Lambert with a microphone, with a microphone and that star that's from American Idol. Yes. That would have been, you know what, honestly, that would have been an epic tattoo. You know that? <laughs> it would have shown that baby off every day. I would have. It hurt so bad getting a tattoo on my back. 
thought I was going to die. <laughs> it was worse than childbirth, I'm sure. Uh, I don't think so. I bet you. Uh, no. Childbirth is not for excruciating hours. It's Are you like, kidding me? It's Do you like, know how long I was in labor? Yeah, but it's not like that the whole time. Oh, uh, yes, it is. Uh, come on. Oh, no. Oh, we're going to get you hooked up to one of those machines. What does it feel like? What does childbirth feel like? Like a freight train <laughs> running over and dragging you. So anyway, <laughs> I got my back piece done. Yes. And then I went back several years later and had it. I had the outline done in one fell swoop, and then I had, I had the, the, the rest of the back piece done a couple years later. Had it shaded in, and I could probably use another sitting or two to have it perfect. It turned out really nice. I'm super job. happy with it. Yeah, did a I very, love it. Very good job. I love it. It's in that. I, I was. I, I'm. I'm stoked enough that it was in that book. One thousand biker tattoos by Sarah Liberté. Not That's to be ma- cool. mistaken for the American Idol tattoo, the no. Amelia tattoo. Yes. Amelia and No, Farmer. the real deal. The real deal. So what else? I wanted to really, I, I really kind of wanted you to bag on me a little bit and torment me and talk about how, what is it like being uh, the, sh- uh, the wife of a shop owner? I mean, as far as business, like if you're going to talk about business, what, what, what would some advice you would give to somebody who wanted to own a bike shop? Patience. Patience is virtue. You have to have patience. It's, I mean, you know, it's like anything that you start on your own, it's a process. So you can't expect things to happen overnight. You know, people have these wild ideas that they're going to instantaneously become you know, rich and famous off of doing something. And, and that's not reality. I mean, you go back to any successful individual, truly successful individual, and it really takes a lot of perseverance, grit. I mean, you're, you know, to have something and to build something and to build it well, it takes a long time. It takes a while. And people have to understand that. And that's where really when you see... Um, some of our friends that have shops and, and you know, that are artists, it's, it's taken them a while. I mean, you look at, like, um, I think Eric, very talented. Gorgeous. Yeah. And voodoo Choppers. You, you Shout at, out to Voodoo Choppers. Yeah. You look at how long he's been, you know. and, and He's been doing it longer than me. Yeah. He's been in business. Um, I want to say that Voodoo Choppers started in... 99 or 2000. And even Evan, you look at Evan. I mean, these are talented, very talented individuals, but people only see the product, but they don't realize behind that product is years and years of building up to where they are now. I think that's something that's that people need. I, I wish I could impress that upon people because you meet some like, okay, so before I rode motorcycles and was into motorcycles like I am, I was into cars, right? Mm-hmm. But that was truly, I mean, I, I had done car-related things for a living, but the racing part of it, the actual, what I was doing with that Mustang was completely self-dealing. I mean, that was just 100% hobby. When I didn't want to do it anymore or I didn't want to do it for a while, I could put the car up on jack stands, I could drain the fuel, Put the battery in, on a on a tender and forget about the car. Put a cover over it. Um, 
when you do what you love for a living. Like, I hate, there's a saying that people say, like, if you do something you truly love, you'll never work a day in your life. I fucking mm-hmm. hate that, that there's so much bullshit in that fucking phrase. I'm still, though, I'm the same person. I tell our daughters, do something that you want to do because you're going to be doing it for a long fucking time. And that's way better well, you advice. you want to enjoy what better. you're doing. I mean, obviously, Absolutely. But yeah, it's not, I mean, it, it takes a lot of work. It's, you know, a bl- lot of blood, sweat, and tears, obviously. And then you look at, you know, these big corporations. Not that, I mean, I, I have nothing against corporations. They're awesome you know, and they, they serve a purpose, but you look at the passion and it's a lot of these smaller owned businesses that are in family communities, like, you know, what we have. And you look at that and you see the passion that they have because they're competing with such big industries and, and people need to take that in, into consideration. Well, that's what I was saying is that, so I got off track again, but I wish I could impress that upon people who like, as I said before, I got into the, when I got into this, I went all in, right? Kind of overnight. I mean, I can remember you saying, I can remember your sister saying, I can remember people saying that, you know, I was one way one day, and the next time they saw me, I was a different way. And it was, I think that I found, I found what I was supposed to do. I just, it took me a long time to do it. But I wish I could impress upon people that when they get, I see people come in and out of this, like, They'll ride for a couple of years, and they're all in. Everything they do is motorcycle, motorcycle, motorcycle. Every vacation they take is motorcycle-related. Every shirt they buy is motorcycle-related. Everything is around motorcycles. And then they stop. Something happens. There's a, there's a change of life. There's a change of job. There's, they lose interest. They buy a boat. I see that all the time. So I've been in this full-time for 15 years, and I've seen people come and go. And there's very few people that have stuck with it. And those are the people that I, those are the people I gravitate to, you know, guys like Cody. I've known Cody for seven years, I think now, something like that. Motorcycles. I mean that like I, that the eat, sleep, breathe motorcycles, even though he doesn't do it for a living. He has before, but he's never he's never taken his finger off the pulse. It it drives everything he does. It's different than a guy who just gets into it. It's a different. It's not a hobby for Cody. It's not. Right. It's really well, a you, passion you, piece. You notice the passion, and then you notice the people that want just an instant gratification. That's so the key. Those are the guys that come in. And those, those are good yeah. customers to have. I mean, and that's you just awesome. you're going to make your yeah, money. Yeah, you need that. But people that are in the industry. That mm-hmm. are in it for the long haul. Those are the ones that have that passion. That you know. It surprised me it. when when the market crashed, and it's funny that I won't name any names because it's shitty. But we were in this when the economy was good. Mm-hmm. We stayed in it when the economy got shitty. When the economy got as absolute worst it was, we sold our business and we moved down here to start a new business. That's not something that is makes sense on anyone's spreadsheet. It doesn't make sense. Doesn't make good business sense. It's scary. It's it was. It, there's very few people that looked at what we were doing and said that's a good idea, based on the fact that the way the economy was. There were several people who looked at it and said it was a good idea and we should do it. And those are the people that helped us do it. You know, as. Um, as mad as I was when 
Rob and Jody pulled out after we had moved down here and we lost our company again. As mad as I was at that point in time, I'm glad that they did it because we wouldn't we might not have ever moved down here or we wouldn't be where we're at today. We wouldn't have, you know, there's we've tried a lot of different things. So when I talk about, you know, people that come in and out of our lives over the motorcycle thing, the people that stick in our lives are the people that we, you know, like I've I've got friends that I've been in a room with less than 10 times, but I've known them over 10 years and they're good friends. There's not anywhere that we couldn't go in the world, uh, not in the world, in the country, and there are places in the world we could go where we don't, we would never have to pay for a hotel. We would never have to pay for a meal because these people are our friends. You know, Mike and Joe, two of our best friends on the, on the absolute, I mean, they're family at this point. We met them out at No Love Party. Brad and Kristen, we met them at No Love. Cody and Angela, you know, I met him through, through Chopper Dogs. It's been, the, the motorcycle thing has, has really been rich for us. It's enriched our lives in a lot of ways that other places, other things won't. I, would I like to have a million bucks? Yeah. Do I think I ever have a million bucks? I have to think that I'll have a million bucks at some point in time because that's one of the things that drives me. But I don't need an alarm clock to get up and go to my job. I don't, I might hate something that happens at my job, but I don't hate my job. Do I work hard? That whole thing about pick something that you have to, that you love and you'll never have to work a day in your life. That's bullshit. I think pick something you love and you'll want to work every day of your life. Right? Well, pick something you love and you know that you're going to work hard to maintain what it is that you're passionate about. Well, and I think you're going to stick with it when things get shitty. Mm-hmm. You have to. I would be lying if I said I never thought about, you know, fuck this, I'm done, I'm over it. I'm, I probably say that once a week to myself or out loud to myself. I mean, I work by myself primarily, but you know, that's the other thing. That's the other thing that I would, I would like, I I can't wait. I'm going to this K river campground thing in Oklahoma in a couple weeks. These guys in Texas that I've been uh, communicating with back and forth from the fast like garage podcast and that, and he's got like a, he's got like kind of a cast of characters that orbit around his podcast um, guys, FXR Mike and uh, Mark from Texas Performance MC, Jace Hudson from the Fast Life Garage. These guys, I, I listen to their podcasts and I, I feel like I kind of get, I'm getting to know them because I'm hearing them talk about personal, their personal lives, and I'm hearing them talking about business. And Mark at Texas Performance MC, he's much younger than I am, but he's he's like uh, he went to MMI, he came up through dealerships, and then he left dealerships and started his own business. And so I'm thinking, okay, I'm 15 years into this thing, and you know, every once in a while I have to take a step back, and because something shitty happens and it doesn't go the way I want it to go, so I move over here, I do this, and kind of try to reorganize. And and I hear him talking about stuff. That guy is going through the exact same thing that I'm going through. Just you know, the the economy to scale. I don't know how many I don't know how many bikes he has in his shop. I know he doesn't have any employees. I know that he does everything on his own. And he said something to me or said something on the podcast that that he was on the other day about uh, they talked about going to Sturgis. And he's like, that cost me $8,000. 
And Jace was like, how does it cost you $8,000? It cost me $1,000 to go there. He's like, well, it's $1,000 to go. Then I got to pay all my bills at home. I got to pay all my bills at the shop. And I'm not working, right? So he figures he's going to generate X number of dollars. If he's gone for 10, 10 days, mm-hmm. that $800 a day he would generate or the $500 a day he would generate, that goes away. Because he doesn't have somebody to spin in wrenches when he's not there. Right. You know? So... Mm-hmm. It, Everybody has the same problems. They're just wrapped up in a different package. Right. I guess, I guess it's just that, you know, you think, oh, well, this guy's been in this business for, for 15 years. He should know better. He should have better. He should do better. He should know more. He should have more. He should do more. And well, I think you're always growing and you're always learning. I mean, the industry changes, and that's the thing is you've got to be you know, up on top of things and be innovative and creative. I mean, especially in this industry, because that's just the world we live in. And so you've got to, you've got to be able to put yourself in different places like you're doing just to see what's out there and make those connections and, you know, universal and global connections with other people. I mean, that's what it's about. And I think anything that you're, you've got yourself engrossed in, Whatever it is that you have that passion, you've got to constantly, you know, start looking at different things within it to keep it to keep it alive. Well, so one of the things that I was thinking about that I started saying earlier and then I got off on another tangent. But so we were in this business when economy was good. We started in 03, you know, and all the TV stuff happened. And so we were able to ride that wave, mm-hmm. you know, that brought in a lot of commerce and a lot of new riders. And then, and then we, and then the economy got bad and we stuck with it. And then we sold, sold out and moved down here and started a business while the economy is bad and it's fine. Um, but so, and a bunch of people left, I mean, I could, I could name, I could name probably 10 people that left the business, right. That completely got out of the business because mm-hmm. things got shitty. And then some of them, I know why they went out of business. Like there's legitimate reasons. I had one friend that was leveraged up to the moon. He was a manufacturer. He was easily one of the top five most innovative people in the industry. And, you know, the bottom fell out. He had all of his money tied up in production motorcycles. I get why he's not there. Um, But he's getting back into it now. He's not getting into the production side of things, but he's starting to, we're starting to see him at events more. I got to see him for the first time in 10 years last year at Sturgis. It was fantastic. Didn't spend a whole lot of time with him, but got, that's what I mean about these, these friends that we have. We got to catch up in, like that, you know? Um, but there's people, I, I kind of, I get a little red-assed when someone runs a motorcycle shop out of their house. That bothers me. I get a little red ass when somebody's not because I don't think it's a legitimate business. I just don't. Not when I'm paying twenty grand a month to have a shop. I mean that's that's the check that I'm writing every month. I can prove it with a with a profit and loss statement. And somebody else is running their shit out of their house. I don't like that. It, it bothers me. It really bothers me because um, I had to adhere to certain, you know. Sp- uh, Standards in order to buy from company X, Y, and Z, right? It 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 red asses me that there's so much product on the internet 
that the MSRP is this much and all people do is just discount it and then they they compete over discounts. Right. That, that doesn't work. It doesn't work. It, it's not sustainable. So what happens is you have a group of bottom feeders who sit at the bottom of the cesspool and they come in, infuse a bunch of capital into the distributors, they buy all the parts, they put them online, and then they start discounting them. And they discount them and discount them and discount them until the, finally they're not making any money on them. But now neither can I because they got to get their money back somehow. Mm-hmm. They weren't running a legitimate business to begin with. Instead of being competitive off of skill and talent and um, professionalism, they're being competitive in, in a negative way and just trying to out-discount each other. In the meantime, while these two assholes that have no brick-and-mortar store they don't work on people's bikes for a living. They're, they're doing it as a hobby or whatever. They're just discounting each other out on eBay stores and stuff. And when I try to sell that same product in my store that costs me $20,000 a month, I'm told by a customer how much, how much they can get it for online. It pisses me off. It's really, it really it frosts my nuts. And then there's, I start, I'm starting to see guys that are operating out of their garage now. Every, the economy's been good for a couple years, so now these, these assholes are popping back up. And I'm sorry. I call them all out on it. It's bullshit. I've stuck, I've stuck it out. You know what I mean? I've eaten shit. And I'm, now I'm eating shit again because I'm watching these people. I don't wish, this, I don't wish anything bad on anybody, ever. But I will tell you that we did better. We had better transactions when the economy wasn't as good as a whole. Because the people who walked through my door when the economy wasn't good weren't there to tire kick themselves. They came there because they needed something, and we provided a service, and they paid for it. And that's what you see in a down economy. You see good consumers. And in a down economy, you see good businesses because bad businesses don't flourish because they don't have the the wherewithal, they don't have the intestinal fortitude, and they don't have the financial resources to stay in business. Well, and and to piggyback on that, when I look at, like, consumers, when the economy is good, you're quick to just go out, you know, I mean, people binge buy. They binge buy. Yeah. And when you're being a little more, you know, tight, you're more aware of where you're going to be placed. Oh, you're completely more conscientious. I've said it before. We're much better poor people than we are with, with when we have money. I mean, you know, I can remember when, when things were tight. No, I'm not saying people poor, but I'm saying as a whole. I'm not saying poor. I'm just saying I'm, I'm using right, that, that's but I'm just a colloquialism. In, yeah, of but I'm just saying a, in general, when you look at when people, I mean, it just, you see, like I said, binge spending. You, know, you do. People go out and binge spend. And we're guilty of it too on small and certain levels. I mean, but, and it's okay because to some degree, but what I'm saying is, is that in a down economy, people are more conscientious of mm-hmm. what they're doing. And there's not a bunch of shitty people with, that are binge buying themselves into business. That's what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. It's real easy when you like motorcycles and you're halfway decent with a wrench and you've got a nice three-car garage at home to be a Tony Chrome. Right. And when I say binge buying, I'm, I'm not saying that they're binge buying on things that are, um, it's, it seems to be the cheaper for whatever reason. 
yeah, go instead of buying one thing that costs a hundred dollars, they'll go buy ten things that cost ten dollars. Yeah, they buy shit just to have it, or things that are on clearance just to just to go out yeah. and. I agree because they can. Yeah, and it's and it's, it's a bunch of consumerism bullshit. But you're right, and how it how it how it ties back into to what we're doing is is. I think eventually things will, you know, things will level off for a while and then things will get bad for a while. And I think we'll be able to ride the storm out. I mean, ultimately, ultimately. It goes up and down. But I think that, like I said earlier, people need to look at, you know, within their communities, the ones that are working hard to, you know, the little mom and pop shops, so to speak. I mean, people have to really look at that. And then take that into consideration. They just people have worked hard, really hard to get where they're at. And those those a lot of those little shops that you see, and they're passionate. Well, yeah. When I'm adding new product into my company, when we're adding stuff, like I'll give you an example. We added um, when we added in the, when we got the new showroom, right? Uh-huh. We had to put some product in there. Yeah. I was very cautious about what we put in there, so we put things in there that we know we use. Right, so I have Redline oil. Okay, right. I've always used Redline oil. That's my that's my my kink. We wanted to add some cell phone cases, but we wanted them to be motorcycle related. So we we went out and we found a company that builds a good product that works, that has a good warranty, and displays nice and rock form. Those rock form cases that we sell are fantastic, and the the motorcycle mounts are awesome. I can stand behind that. We wanted to have our vest made. We had our own branded vest made this year for the first time. Went to first manufacturing. Mm-hmm. You know, that's good stuff. So everything that's in our showroom is, is number one, stuff we use. Number two, stuff we're proud to sell. Right? Right. Um, Twin Power. James Simonelli from uh, Tucker V. Twin. He's the brand manager and the lead product development guy for, you know James, right? Mm-hmm. You remember him. Um I stock as much twin power stuff as I can in the shop because purely because of him, because I know his standards. I know his bike. I know if he's going to put his name on something, even though it's not his name, as I say, James Simonelli on it, but it's the company that he's representing. It's going to, I can put it on my customer's bike with no worries. And that's, I don't binge buy for the shop. There's not a bunch of tchotchkes and bullshit in the right, shop. Right. If it's something in the shop, it's well, something that, that I use. And a lot of stuff that, like you're saying, is you that you look and you put in your shop. I mean, these are things that people, again, other companies that aren't like corporate, huge corporate, like you said, just quick things. These are things that, um, you know, people take pride in displaying. Yeah, and I try to find small companies too, like... Um, Lance Corey from uh, from Thrash and Supply. Mm-hmm. I was a dealer his four four or five years ago when he first came out, like with his exhaust. He makes a little windshield or not a windshield, a um, handlebar bag. Mm-hmm. I stock that now, you know. And I'm looking for small niche companies, and I won't say who they are, but there's another company that builds product. That two weeks ago I filled out a dealer form because I wanted to put bring some of their product in, and they're a small niche company. I filled it out. I sent a dealer request thing in. I got the email immediately back. I filled it out. I'm, I sent it right back to him. Nothing. A week goes by. I sent him an email. Hey, just checking. Nothing. You know what? I'm not going to do business with you. It's shame on you. 
because you're all the way over in California and I'm in Florida and I want to stock some of your product in my store that's got your name on it. I mean, I can go have my own product made. You know what I mean? I mean, we're in that, we're right now, we're, we're in an, an, uh, a, a point where there's lots of manufacturers that will do stuff for you if you design a product. You know what I mean? And so I'll, I'll put, you know, I want to put some of Boosted Brad's stuff in the shop anyways because he's a friend of mine and he's designing product and he's having it made here in the States and it all works really well and it's good stuff. It's just I've got to have some display space for it. Well, I don't even just... the stuff that, you know, Kevin brought over, the, the welding stuff. I mean, this is, I mean, these are things that people are bringing in, you know. He's got some really neat stuff that he's brought over. Yeah, I need to get that welder unpacked, and I need to get it going, and I need to get it fired up for him. I just, I haven't had the time. We, we made the time. He came in. The welder that they sent uh, was a demo model that what somebody had damaged. What is it called? That... OTC. OTC. Yeah. That's right. So. But, I mean, you look at, again, and and the passion that he has. Right. You know, that, and, and the product. Well, that's a company that's huge overseas that wants to be huge here. There's just a lot of competition here. And they're bringing it in. But I'm just saying, look at, you know, I mean, these are things that we, you even look at closely before yeah. you bring it in, you know? Oh, yeah. Everything that I do, I, I try to be mindful of that. Mm-hmm. I try to be very mindful of that. Um, it's, uh, your eyes are pretty bloodshot. I'm pretty tired. It's 10.37. So we've been doing this for about an hour and a half. Do you feel like you got enough in? They can't hear you when you shake your head. Yes, I feel like we've got enough in. Um, my beautiful wife, Karen Holman, if you want to follow her, what's your Instagram handle? <laughs> yeah, you're asking me that. Um, she has a private Instagram. so. But I don't even know what it is. It's you don't know what your Instagram handle is? I don't. I'm trying to promote you, dude. I know. Do you have a website? <laughs> <laughs> I need to build one. Oh, my God. Could you imagine if you had your own website? It'd be a nightmare. What would you put on it? Me. Just pictures of you? <laughs> no. If you guys want to see pictures of my wife, she's on my Instagram. My Instagram <laughs> is Speed Metal Built. I think you're K.M. Holman. I think it is K.M. Holman. Yep. But if you follow her and you have weird pictures or anything on your, she won't follow you back. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for doing this with me. Thank you for having me. I've had you and (laughs) I intend to have you again. Um, Did you like doing this? I did. You're a little nervous, aren't you? Not at all. Were you at the beginning? No. Do I make you feel uncomfortable at all? No, oh, I'm sorry. Do you want to make me feel uncomfortable? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully um, hopefully we can do this a couple more times and get you loosened up. I think the next time we do it, I'm going to get you a glass of wine. And I won't be so tired either. I didn't get much sleep last night. So. All right. I love you. All right. Love you too. <laughs> well, there it is. Um, the first... Uh, podcast with my beautiful wife Karen. I uh, got off to a little bit of a slow start, and I know it was a little sketchy in some places, but um, that was the first time she'd ever sat down with me to do it, and uh, 
Um, I'm glad that she did. Um, I actually got some really good show notes after, after we had had a, a good night's sleep, and I want to have her on again and talk a little bit more. She had some pretty good insight, and you know, I mean, she's had a, a front row seat to everything I've done over the last 27 years, but certainly in the last 15 years uh, in the motorcycle business. And she's, you know, I don't always listen to what she has to say, but usually she doesn't say anything unless it's something positive or. Um, something worthwhile so i mean she's she's been a voice of reason um and she's always supported me and i appreciate it for that so um once again um just want to give a couple shout outs on the on the podcast um this week um i want to give a shout out to boosted brad's death metal racing parts uh go to boostedbrad.com and take a look um he's got some fantastic parts u.s engineered u.s manufactured components uh using u.s sourced um raw materials um, he's got a new line of destroyer risers those things are really awesome looking he's got i just put a set of the bear trap pegs on my 2016 dyna lowrider and i'm going to be honest with you and tell you that they're probably the nicest motorcycle parts i've ever bought they're they're side specific to the bike i mean he's even gone as far as to put his logo on there correctly so and if you go to boostedbrads.com and you do order anything uh, if you don't mind dropping Brad a line and let him know that you heard us talking about it here on the podcast. But um, this kind of stuff is important. We don't monetize this thing. We don't charge for this thing. We are paying for this out of our pocket. But we would like to get to a point to where maybe um, we can afford more bandwidth if we had some folks um, contributing, you know, even just a, a dollar here and there. So we're, we did open a Patreon. I know I'm, I sound like every other podcaster on the planet, but believe it or not, this stuff does cost money and, uh, you know, we'll continue to do it cause we do it for fun. But if we can offset some of the costs with it, um, you know, we'd like to be able to do that too. So, um, Cody wasn't on this episode. Um, he was on vacation with his wife and children. They're getting ready to go back to school in Texas. And so he took the weekend off and they went down to San Antonio and chilled out. And, um, so I've been wanting to get, uh, another episode done and been having put it off for one reason or another. So, that's it. That wraps up episode 13. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, please remember, uh, share this on your social media if you can. Let people know that we're, we're trying to do some cool stuff. And uh, if you have any suggestions, feel free to email me um, you know, or send me a message. Direct message me through Instagram is probably the quickest way to reach me. Uh, of course, my Instagram is speedmetalbuilt. And uh, you can find Cody Childress on Instagram as well, and you can, you can DM him and uh, let them know what you want to hear about on the podcast. So this is episode 13 coming to a close. I appreciate you listening. If you're listening all the way to the end here, um, have a great day, ride safe, and uh, see you next time.